O Lord our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We are continuing our series called Prophets, Priests, and Healers. Um, and this is based on uh, something that Jesus said to his disciples. Uh, in John 14, he said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. But because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, all who trust in him are given the right to be called children of God. So we're part of God's family. And we call him Father. But we're also God's servants. And this is how the Apostle Paul referred to himself in his letters. He would always start off, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And so this is important to our identity as Christians. To love God is to serve God. And to serve God is to love God. And so those of us uh, who teach Sunday school uh, or lead small groups or, or sing on the worship team, uh, help in the nursery, those of us who disciple our youth uh, or care for the poor, listen, we are not volunteers. We are servants. We aren't helping out at church. We are expressing our love for God through service. There's a big difference. Whoever believes in Christ will do the works that he's been doing. Yesterday, a crowd of white supremacists, neo-Nazis, Ku Klux Klan, members of the alt-right movement, uh, marched in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I think, I believe it was the largest gathering of its kind in many, many years. And the protesters, as they walked, they chanted, blood and soil, which is uh, a Nazi slogan from the 1930s. Uh, they would chant, Jews will not replace us. Uh, things got really ugly. Riots broke out. Uh, a, man, a man plowed through a crowd of counter-protesters in his car, and he mowed down dozens of people and a 32-year-old woman was killed. And man, it was just an absolutely uh, gut-wrenching display of hate and racism and bigotry. And as a Christian, as a person of color myself, as a human being, it, this these events just consumed me all day. But what's especially disturbing to me is that in the not-so-distant past, white supremacists wore hoods to conceal their identities. But recently, the masks have come off. 
and prejudice is becoming mainstream. And bigotry is becoming increasingly normalized, and the racists have become emboldened. And we cannot dismiss these events as some anomaly, because there is a sinister undercurrent of evil that is spreading in this country. And my friends, alarm bells should be going off, because something is deeply wrong. And events like this wake us up to that reality. So if Jesus were here today, what would he be doing right now? What work would he be doing in response to this kind of hatred and violence? Because he is with us today. Christ lives in us and Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so if there was ever a time that we need to be doing the work of Jesus, it's now. And so in this series, we are focusing on three expressions of who Jesus was and the nature of his work. And there are more than three, but we're focusing on these few. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a priest. Jesus was a healer. And we are to do the works that Jesus did. So what does it mean for us to be prophets in the world? What does it mean for us to be priests? How how do we become agents of healing? How do we become healers? And imagine what would happen if every believer, all of us, and, and believers across the country, what if we all embrace this calling to become prophets, priests, and healers in our world? What kind of impact could we have? What kind of world would we live in? Well, today we're going to talk about prophets. What's a prophet? Well, in a general sense, a prophet is a person who speaks God's truth to others. It comes from the Hebrew nabi, which means to bubble forth, like from a fountain. It's like these words, you just have to get them out. They just bubble up from inside of you, the words that come from God. Also, uh, there's a couple other Hebrew words, ro'ech and hose, which mean seer, someone who sees. In English, we have the, it comes from the Greek word uh, prophetes, which means one who speaks forth or an, an advocate. So a prophet's primary function in the Old Testament and New Testament was to serve as God's representative or ambassador by communicating God's word to his people. Okay, a prophet is somebody who speaks God's words. Now, prophets often had both a teaching and a revelatory role. In other words, they would declare God's truth on contemporary issues, what was happening at that time in their day, but they would also sometimes reveal details about the future, what was to come. And so Isaiah, for example, touched on both the present and the future. He would preach boldly against the corruption of his day, but we'd also deliver these grand visions of the future of Israel. Now, true prophets never spoke in their own authority or just shared their personal opinions. That wasn't what that was about. They delivered the message that God himself gave them. God promises Moses in Exodus 4.12, Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. In Deuteronomy 18.18, he says to Moses, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. 
and he will tell them everything I command them. Uh, the Lord says to Jeremiah, he says, I have put my words in your mouth. God commissions Ezekiel by saying, you must speak my words to them. Are you getting the picture? It's always God's words put in somebody's mouth. That's what a prophet does. There are more than 133 named prophets in the Bible, including 16 women. Women were prophets too. Moses' sister Miriam is called a prophet. Deborah is called a prophet. Uh, and so we, and it's occasionally we read of like groups or bands of prophets that would minister in, in Israel, referred to as the company of the prophets. And sometimes the word of God came to a prophet through this audible voice. They could hear it. Sometimes it was this internal voice. Sometimes through dreams and visions. Now prophets had tremendous political Influence. This is one thing that we, we need to understand. Prophets had a lot of political influence. They had the ear of the king. And they would often deliver words of warning, divine guidance, and encouragement to the king, to people in power. And they would speak hard truths. Sometimes they, they would even rebuke the king. Nathan rebuked David for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and for sending her husband to his death on the front lines of battle. And in the 18, uh, so, so they would speak to the, um, the powers that be. And in the 8th century uh, BC, prophets also began speaking more and more to the people at large. They, they would testify to the holiness of God. Uh, they would remind people of their covenant obligations with God. Uh, they would um, denounce social injustice and uh, oppression of the poor, idolatry. They would speak against empty religion and they would call God's people to repentance and faithfulness. They would communicate the promise of God's spiritual renewal for the land if people would repent and obey and trust God. So it's important in all of that. I mean, you're speaking the words of God to hard-hearted people. And because of that, being a prophet was a dangerous thing. It was a dangerous calling. Being a mouthpiece for the word of the Lord it could be dangerous. The prophets were often mocked. They were rejected. They were per Who likes to hear uh, words of rebuke? Right? And, and so they were mocked, rejected, persecuted. Sometimes they were even killed. And Jesus is referred to multiple times as a prophet. He spoke the words of God. He says in John 7, 16, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. In John 8, 28, he says, I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. John 17, 8, he says, I gave them the words that you gave me. You see the prophetic uh, role of Jesus. So he would speak about contemporary issues, but he would also speak predictively. He foretold what was to come. He spoke of his death and resurrection before it happened. He told the church what to expect after he returned to the Father. He spoke of the coming kingdom of God. So he spoke about visions of the future. So a prophet is somebody who speaks God's words to the people. Jesus was a prophet, and we are to do the works that Jesus did. So everything that I said about what prophets did applies to you and applies to me. In Acts 2, 17, 18 and 21, Peter preaches, he says, in the, and he's quoting from the prophet Joel, he says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He says it twice. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. I mean, have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever noticed that, that the gift of prophecy is something that we should seek and something that is promised to us? Now, we know that prophets were active in the early church. We read about their presence in Antioch, in Caesarea, in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, all over. We know that they were very active then. So what does it mean then for us to live prophetically? Well, first of all, to speak prophetically is to point to Jesus and his coming kingdom in a supernaturally inspired way. In other words, God has to speak to you, and then you speak the words of God. Uh, Sam Storms says that prophecy is not based on a hunch or a supposition or influence or an educated guess or even sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. This is what distinguishes prophecy from teaching. Okay, prophecy and teaching are not quite the same. Teaching is always grounded in an inspired text from Scripture that we already have. So you're, you're explaining the written word of God. That's teaching. Okay, But prophecy is based on a spontaneous revelation. God has spoken to you. And you relay those words. Now, uh, we need to make sure we're told to test the spirits to make sure that what we say lines up with God's word. But it comes from God having a personal relationship with you where he's speaking to you and you are simply relaying what God has spoken to you. All true prophecy bears witness to Jesus. And so prophetic revelation is always rooted in the gospel and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the aim, the, the primary focus is to bear witness to the person of the incarnate Christ. So uh, Sam Storm says that prophecy is always Christ-centered. That's the first thing. That we, we have to understand that when we speak prophetically, we're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to his, to his kingdom. But second... Um, when Jesus promised that when we receive the Holy Spirit, he said we would receive power, power to be his witnesses. In, and in part, Jesus is referring to our ability, our power to speak prophetically to our culture. Did you know that to speak the words of God is a powerful, powerful thing? It's not something that we take lightly. It's a powerful thing to be the mouthpiece of God. It's so powerful that we're intimidated by, well, who am I? Right? We don't dare. How dare I? And yet God promises this to us, right? It's so powerful we're afraid to step into that identity. Remember, prophets had tremendous political influence. They had the ear of the king. They spoke hard truths. Now, how did, they, how did they have the courage to do that? Because they served a higher king. They served a higher king. God. 
And so Christians, we are to follow in the traditions of the prophets. This means, and hear me on this, part of being a Christian and to live prophetically is to speak truth to power. To speak truth to those in power, who have power. Now you might think, you sounds like you're talking about being political. And I am. Because the word politics literally means the affairs of the city. We talked about this earlier this year. Politics just means the affairs of the city. And what does the prophet Jeremiah say? He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29.7. We are supposed to be engaged in the affairs of the city, and that's what politics is. It's caring for your city. Right? It's thinking about the affairs of the city. So Christians should be actively involved in shaping their communities so that all who live in them prosper. And some of us have tremendous influence in our communities. Right? Our friend Polly here, the mayor right, of Rosemead. And thank you for being here and, and, and joining us in this conversation. Now, sometimes that just means being a good citizen, right? being a good neighbor. But sometimes seeking the welfare of the city means that we begin to confront systemic injustice and advocate for policies that benefit the poor and the marginalized. In other words, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city requires that we say and do things that will touch on things that are political in nature. Sometimes we need to take a stand. Sometimes and I, we need to pick a side. And when I say pick a side, I'm not talking about left or right. And I'm not talking about uh, conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. I'm not talking about picking uh, white or black or yellow or brown. I mean that when we pick a side, we say I'm, we side with Jesus. We side with Jesus. We are not neutral. Our allegiance is to God. And so we should not be afraid to speak truth to power. We should not be afraid to use our voices or our position or our resources to advocate for change or to protect the weak or to stand for injustice. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are ambassadors of Christ. Now, all of us have a certain measure of influence. All of us have a certain amount of, of leadership or political or social capital to spend. And we need to spend it to create change. Otherwise, what's, the, what's it there for, right? So remember, prophets often had a teaching and a revelatory role. They declared God's truth on contemporary issues. They talked about what was happening in their day, right? but they also reveal details about the future. So to live prophetically means that we are declaring God's truth as it relates to contemporary life. What's happening in our day, but we also paint a picture of the coming kingdom to say it's not always going to be like this. And that is what we're, we are looking towards, and that is what we are, are, are trying to help earth look more like. So, so I want to make a... And it's, it seems hard for a lot of us to make this mental switch because of what our culture tells us, oh, stay out of politics. To be a Christian is already a political statement. You understand? Because we are people that say Jesus is Lord. 
And that was a political statement in Jesus' day. That could get you killed because Caesar was supposed to be Lord. The Roman emperor was supposed to be Lord. He was called the Son of God. So to say, no, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Lord. That was a political statement. That's like saying Trump is not my president. Or Obama is not my president. Right? It's a treasonous statement. It's refusing to pledge allegiance to the state. So to be a Christian, to say, I'm a Christian, already you are political. You understand? To say Jesus is Lord means you've already picked a side. It's a divisive thing to say. But that's our identity. That's our message. We confess that without any shame. Jesus is Lord. And I can be an amazing neighbor and I can contribute to the welfare of my society, but make, make no mistake, I serve Jesus. I belong to his kingdom. So then what does it mean to speak God's word in our time in response to things like hate and bigotry? How do we live prophetically? Now, a lot of us are kind of reeling from what happened this weekend. We're like, what do I do? What can I do? Well, the first thing that we need to do is begin to pray. And if you are, if you have not made that part of your life, that's not your instinctual response then we are, we are missing the power that we need in order to move things forward. Because it's, it's God that is shaping this world and moving it towards his kingdom reality. Yesterday, um, I texted back and forth with Abner and Molly. We're like, are you seeing this? How are you responding? And Abner texted back and said, Molly and I are carving out time tonight just to pray about this. They, they, they instinctively knew we got to pray. And so that's, that's what we, we do. These are people that were um, marching in solidarity uh, in Charlottesville yesterday, members of the clergy. So we pray. In Jeremiah 29.7, which I, which I quoted to you, Jeremiah says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into the exile. And then he says, Pray to the Lord for it. For it prospers. If, if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's our first response is to pray. But then we must speak. And in speaking, obviously, requires listening, right? Listening to God, listening to what's happening in our culture, listening to people. But eventually, we must weigh in. We must speak. In Ephesians 5.11, Paul writes this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We are called to expose the deeds of darkness. In other words, to call out evil when we see it. Romans 12.9, Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do you hate what is evil? It doesn't say just avoid it. You know, try not to get messed up. Hate it. Do you hate evil? I hate what I saw yesterday. I hate the ideology behind it. I, I hate what it does to people. I, I hate the whole spirit behind it. I hate it. We are to hate what is evil. Now, if you want to hate what is evil, then you need to know what is good. You need to know what is good. We need to be able to recognize the spirit of Christ, and we need to recognize the spirit of Antichrist whatever is opposed to Jesus. We need, in other words, you need to be able to recognize hell when you see it. And yesterday, I looked into the face of hell. 
We need to recognize hell when we see it, and only then can we know what heaven is supposed to look like. We need to know what heaven looks like and what hell looks like, and we have to know the difference. And we need to be it. We can't. There are some things we just cannot sit on the fence. We must name evil, call it out. Okay? Because to not speak is already, you've already made a statement. To not speak is to act. To not speak, you've already made your statement. Martin Niemöller um, was a prominent Protestant pastor, uh, and he emerged as an outspoken public enemy of um, Adolf Hitler uh, during World War II. And he spent the last seven years um, uh, of Nazi rule in concentration camps. He spent seven years in Nazi concentration camps. And he wrote this powerful poem. Listen, some of you may have heard this. He said, first... They came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Reminds me of Article 5 of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. This is what solidarity looks like. Every time that we remain silent in the face of oppression, just because it isn't happening to me, um, we lose a little bit of our humanity. And we all suffer. And one day there will be no one left to speak for us when oppression comes to our door. Our founding fathers affirmed that all men are created equal. But this was an ideal. It was not a present reality that they were experiencing. It was an ideal, and it continues to be an ideal that we strive towards. And we are not there yet. All people are equal in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of man. All lives matter to God but not to us. Every human being is created in the image of God, but the world we live in does not reflect that truth. And until it does, we have to continue to speak and to act, and to pretend otherwise is to be blind. And so some people say, well, I mean, isn't it enough for me? Isn't it enough for me just to not be a racist myself? I'm not a racist. Isn't it enough for me? Okay, fine, I denounce racism. Is that enough? Can I just say, yes, it's wrong. Okay, I get it. Is that all you're asking me to do? Well, what does the Bible say? Isaiah 61.4 tells us that we will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. We're called to be culture changers, world changers. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says God has given us, us, the ministry of reconciliation. There's work to do. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the work that I've been doing. And in Revelation 21.5, it says, I'm making all things new. That's what I'm doing. I'm making all things new. And we're called to partner with Jesus in doing that. So we have to join in the work of making all things new, making earth look like heaven, revealing the kingdom to come, speaking God's truth to power, to make disciples of Jesus in the nations. So no, it's not enough for me to just not be a racist. It's not enough for me just to denounce racism 
We have to expose the deeds of darkness and work towards the full realization of God's kingdom on earth. Amen? Racism is real, and it is wrong, and it must be confronted. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who is a Polish-born American rabbi and one of the leading Jewish theologians of the 20th century, said this. He said, racism is man's gravest threat to man, the maximum of hatred for a minimum of reason. The church is the mouthpiece of God. We are called to speak the truth. And so I'm very pleased um, to say that yesterday, Pastor Johnny helped our church craft a response, at least to state where we stand. And we posted it on our Facebook page, and this is what he wrote. There are times when we must try to be open-minded and open-hearted, to see all sides of a dispute when it comes to current events here or abroad. Today is not that day. In light of the heart-wrenching violence happening the last two days in Charlottesville, Virginia, we must speak out in no uncertain terms. The pastors and board of Trinity Church of the Nazarene, representing both campuses and our various language congregations, can do no less than condemn acts of violence and destruction, especially on the part of white supremacist groups. As followers of Jesus Christ, we stand against any and all representations of racism, bigotry, and oppression. Any representation of these things is unacceptable for God's holy people, and we must not only disapprove of such things, but actively resist those who would try to propagate them. We call all followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of denomination, to join us in intercession for true peace and transformation, and let us be active in bearing the light of love. We live in the reality that Jesus Christ has broken down the walls of hostility that divide us from each other, and we long for the day when we will all worship the Lord together. That is the statement that came out of our church, thanks to Pastor Johnny writing on behalf of us, and Abner, I know you had some input into that as well, so thank you. And I also want to share from our denomination um, one of the resolutions that we passed at this last uh, General Assembly in Indianapolis was uh, Manual Resolution CA704. And it had to has to do with our stance on racism. This is what we passed by an overwhelming unanimous majority. This is now in Manual Paragraph 903.2. We renounce any form of racial and ethnic indifference, exclusion, subjugation or oppression as a grave sin against God and our fellow human beings. We lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world, and we seek to confront that legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. We seek to repent of every behavior in which we have been overtly or covertly complicit with the sin of racism, both past and present, and in confession and lament, we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Further, we acknowledge that there is no reconciliation apart from human struggle to stand against and to overcome all personal, institutional, and structural prejudice responsible for racial and ethnic humiliation and oppression. Now here's where you come in. We call upon Nazarenes everywhere to identify and seek to remove 
acts and structures of prejudice, to facilitate occasions for seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and to take action towards empowering those who have been marginalized. This is the denomination that you are a part of. And you have been called to action. I want to read one more excerpt from the Book of Common Prayer, which uh, Johnny sent to me late last night. I, I changed my whole sermon based on what, uh, what happened yesterday. So late last night, about one in the morning, Johnny sent me this excerpt from the Book of Common Prayer about peace. Peace is not just about the absence of conflict but about the presence of justice. Dr. Martin Luther King even distinguished between the devil's peace and God's true peace. The devil's peace and God's peace. A counterfeit peace, the devil's peace, exists when people are pacified or distracted or so beat up and tired of fighting that all seems calm. In other words, we just kind of, I just don't have a fight. I don't have energy to deal with this anymore. That's not peace. True peace does not rest until there is justice and restoration and forgiveness. Peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is a deliberate act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice, the act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a way that is neither fight or flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. It is about a revolution of love that is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressors free. Peacemaking begins with what we can change, ourselves. It doesn't end there. We are to be peacemakers in a world riddled with violence. That means interrupting violence with imagination on our streets and in our world. This peace that is not like any way the empire brings peace is rooted, listen to this, in the nonviolence of the cross where we see a Savior who loves his enemies so much that he died for them. Peace is often not our instinct. Peace is often not our instinct. What do we want to do? We want to retaliate, don't we? Fire and fury. Peace is not our instinct, which is why it must be cultivated and grown in us. Even Jesus' key disciple, Peter, Picks up his sword when the soldiers approach Jesus, right? Remember that? Picks up his sword. Jesus' response is brilliant. He scolds Peter, and then he heals the wounded persecutor. He heals the wounded persecutor. Who are the wounded persecutors in our midst? Where does that racism come from? Where does that hatred come from? And how can we bring healing to the wounded persecutor? And he, Jesus does that only to be dragged away. Didn't make any difference. He heals the wounded persecutor, and yet he's still dragged to the cross. And if there were ever a case for a just war or justified violence to protect the innocent, Peter had that right. I have every right now to defend my Lord. But Jesus rebukes the logic of the sword. The early Christians had a saying. He said, when Jesus disarmed Peter, 
he disarmed every Christian. And did you know that for hundreds of years, Christians were never seen wearing swords? For hundreds of years, Christians did not wear the sword. Somewhere along the way, we started to. But for hundreds of years, Christians did not wear the sword. And they followed the way of the Prince of Peace even to death. And they loved their enemies. And they blessed those who cursed them. Now that doesn't look like a very good strategy for running an empire, does it? Right? But this is the narrow way that leads to life. And it doesn't always work. It doesn't seem to work in the world's eyes, right? As we look at history, even as we read the scriptures, there's evidence that violence has worked at times. It's, it's worked. Um, and it's failed at times, just as nonviolence has worked at times and failed at times. But in the end, which one looks more like Jesus? That's the question we got to ask. Whether it works in the world's eyes or not, the way of violence or the way of nonviolence, which one looks more like Jesus? And so here's the main takeaway. Some of you, this stuff is messing with your, your, your worldview. Some of you have served in the military. We thank you. We do. We're grateful. Some of you have been touched deeply by racism, prejudice, and you want to fight. And, and, and I get it. I, I have many memories from my childhood of uh, being beaten by older boys because I was the only Chinese kid in the area, crawling home with tattered clothes, crying. This touches me deeply, and I want to fight. You know? But we have to ask ourselves, in this situation, what would look like Jesus? What kind of response would look the most like Jesus? So what I want to do is I want to invite you to question the narratives that have infiltrated our culture and stack them up against the gospel. Ask yourselves if what the culture is telling us is right and good lines up with the truth of God and the ethics of the kingdom, the love of Jesus, the gospel of grace. Because, and I really want you to take this to heart, a lot of what is being said by Christians, people who have Christian leader, positions of Christian leadership, a lot of what you are hearing is anti-Christ. It is not the way of Jesus. And you need to learn how to discern that. Just because somebody wears the title of pastor or is the head of some, so-and-so does not necessarily mean they are speaking the words of Christ. And we need to discern that. And when that happens... We have to look at the teaching and example of our Lord Jesus and we have to speak the words of God. We have to live prophetically. What looks the most like Jesus? As I close, and then I'm going to ask our brother Abner to come up and uh, speak a word of interpretation for us. I want to leave you with Romans 8.19 where Paul says, the creation awaits. The creation, all creation is longing in eager expectation." for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, for the true followers of Jesus to come out of the closet and be seen and be known. And so I want to encourage you, when bad things happen, when you look at the face of evil in our culture, do not hide in your head in the sand. Do not be silent, because creation is waiting in eager expectation 
for the children of God to be revealed, to be present. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you, but do not be cowed into silence because you are afraid of how people might view you. If you have leadership capital, spend it to create change. Amen? Abner, would you please? I was going back and forth with the pastoral team yesterday just about how to respond. Uh, I've got a few reflections off of Albert's sermon. Thank you so much, brother, by the way. That was wonderful. Um, Albert ended by talking about peace and giving us a vision of what we're supposed to be as Christians. Uh, peace is something that I've been reflecting on. I think like Albert, my natural tendency is to want to fight back, right? Like I'm hood, yo, I'm ghetto, you know? And when things like this happen in society, some, something starts bubbling up against me and I just want to fight back. Uh, but the Lord, I think, over the last few years has been shaping me uh, to be a peacemaker. So many of you have asked me what my daughter's name means or where did I get my daughter's name. My daughter's name means peace. Mina means peace in Wintu. And I've been reflecting uh, on a lot of these things. When, when Mina uh, was born, uh, the first thing that I gave her was a sword. Right? Uh, and, I'll t- and I'll explain to you why. In the book of Micah, Chapter 4, verses 2 and on, he says, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And I will have to say that that is where history is going. Right, like that point where swords will be turned into plowshares. So when I give my daughter the gift of the sword, I'm giving her a promise from God that one day this sword will be turned uh, into an uh, instrument of provision and not an instrument of war. Now, I would imagine that uh, for some of us in the room, uh, there are a lot of us here, probably from different political ends of the spectrum, right? And some of us might be asking ourselves, uh, why are we talking about this? Or there's a lot of politics happening in this conversation, right? And I would say that I agree with Albert when he says that being a Christian is a political statement in itself. Uh, some of the guys, uh, we have been studying the book of Mark on Wednesday evenings, and we were struck by the way that Mark opens the gospel. He says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We went back and forth for half an hour, 45 minutes, talking about this one verse, realizing that what, what Mark is doing is actually saying, uh, doing an act of treason, first of all. What he's saying, uh, and Albert mentioned this, is that... Um, the gospel, as it was understood at the time, was that Caesar was Lord and King. He was the King of Kings. He was the Son of God. And what Mark is saying is, forget about all the physical reality that you see, the person that you see on the throne, the person that you see as president, whatever you want to call it, the political reality, that might be what you see right now. But behind the veil, this is the core message in the book of Revelation, behind the veil is the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
And this is where history is going. Now, the book of Revelation paints this picture, right, of, of, um, of uh, the masses worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, people from every tribe and nation. So why do we talk about these things? Because that's where history is going, right? And what we try to do is we, we want to become now. We want to live in the reality of eternity now, right? This is where we're going we know what the end will look like, and because it'll end this way, we choose to be that today. Who, who we are today is preparation for that day or for that eternity when all of us from every tribe and nation will worship the king. Uh, Albert also said that to not speak is also to act. And what I want to say about this as somebody who works with uh, college students for the last 16 years. This is the issue that the current millennial generation has against the church. The inability or the refusal sometimes for the church to speak. Right? Because what happens is young millennials, I just want you to guys to know, they're, they're the most connected generation that has come. And they see everything, the oppression, uh, everything, the injustices, whether or not you agree with it, that's you know irrelevant at this point. They see these things. They see what scripture says. And sometimes, uh, throughout history, many of our churches have been silent on issues of injustice, issues of race. And this generation, because of that silence, is letting go of the church. And you could see this if you go on my Facebook, follow what some of my friends are saying. It's exactly what I'm just saying right now. So we must join in the work of making all things new. Um, now, I think that there, there are different camps of, of where we're at and what's gone on, not only in the last 24 hours, I think this has been happening, uh, you know, probably for the last three years when you see a lot of the violence against black men on the streets of America. I think that there are a few reactions that we could have. One of them, I would say, is like the reaction that I have. It's almost uh, immediate anger and sadness, right? Like uh, I did the mistake yesterday of going on CNN, Saturdays, Molly and I Sabbath with the kids. Uh, and after that, I was done for. You know, Molly was like, I feel like you're not engaged. You know, we were in the backyard hanging out with the kids, uh, getting wet and all that. But, but I couldn't just relate at that level because in the back of my mind, I, I was thinking about everything that was happening around the country. And the thing that kept coming to me was, oh, my gosh, are there going to be riots all over the country tonight? Because that was a possibility. But I think for many of us in the room, um, we're sad, we're angry. And we're hurt because we've had experiences like the experiences that Albert talked about. And if that's you, uh, I would like to invite you, if, if you're at the place where you're angry or you're sad or you're mourning, I would, I would like to invite you to stand up. And I want uh, people around you to pray for you and to minister to you. In a minute, I also want to pray for those of us uh, who are maybe frozen and paralyzed. Right? Like, I think that's another reaction that we can have to. It's like, wait, wait up, what happened yesterday? You know, or what's gone on, and, and maybe we don't know. Um, and I would like to in, invite uh, all of you to stand up uh, after, and I'll, I'll have some prayers and encouragements for you. And the last thing that we're going to do, because Jesus sits on the throne, we're going to end with uh, praying for that reality to enter into our lives and into our city and into every sphere of influence. I think one of the reasons we get paralyzed is because I don't have the power to change everything in America. Uh, how many of you guys feel that? 
Like, oh my God, I don't have the power to do any of that. But you know what we have the power to do? We have the power, like Albert said in his sermon, to change who we are, to let Jesus into our hearts, to be transformed, to enter into that reality in, 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 in the sphere of influences that we have. Amen? So if, if you are angry or if you're feeling uh, sad, if you're, if you're feeling like uh, you need just the Lord to minister to you, will you please stand up? I would love to invite you to stand up and let's minister to each other as a congregation. Can we do that? So if you feel like you need prayer because you're hurt and, and you're just feeling like, man, uh, some of these things have been weighing heavy on my heart, why don't you go ahead and stand up? And the worship team will play in the background. Is anybody feeling angry or just sadness, heaviness, maybe even hopelessness about some of the things that have gone on in the last 24 hours or the last three years, especially as we've read the news? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and stand up. I'd love to invite you guys. Don't be afraid. the people around them, and I imagine that there are still some of you who are feeling that way. Uh, let's stand up around our brothers and sisters and minister to them, lay hands on them, and, and pray that, uh, that the Lord would minister to them, pray words of healing, words of truth and affirmation, and that, that the Lord would begin uh, giving just perspective and hope in the midst of how they're feeling. So go ahead and do that, uh, those of you who are around them. Just go ahead and lay hands. Let's be priests to each other. finish up those prayers and take a seat. I'm going to enter into a time of praying and ministering to that second group that I mentioned. And and these prayers, uh, second group of people, is for those of you who, who just feel paralyzed. You know, maybe you haven't known what's been happening or, or you don't know how, how to find out what's been going on. And that's actually uh, a learning process. Um, that picture, Albert, that you showed, can you, can you bring up the picture of those people ministering? I mean, uh, all, all the, the people walking yesterday? Right there. So I think sometimes we get frozen and paralyzed because, because we don't know, right, what's going on. And I think sometimes we need mentors to teach us, uh, especially about, I think, racial reconciliation and injustices. The person... The woman right here with the, the red and orange scarf, her name is Lisa Harper. 
She was the director of racial reconciliation for InterVarsity during my student years. And Lisa Harper taught me everything that I know about reconciliation and about injustices, how to take those things to the Lord. And I was shocked, you know, and almost started crying when I saw Lisa uh, still doing what she's been doing for the last 20 years. But I say that just because sometimes we get frozen and paralyzed uh, or maybe scared because we don't know how to react. And I would, I would love to pray for you also. If, if you don't know how to respond, uh, if you've been paralyzed, and you don't know what's going on. And I would just say, so, some of us, let's be honest, feel very little. Feel almost nothing. And, and, and I would invite you to have the courage, if that's you, to stand. And ask the Lord, help you to, to feel the burden that others may be feeling. That God may stir you to action. Many of us fall in that camp. We don't actually feel much of anything. And I'm not asking you to stand to shame you or condemn you. I'm inviting you to allow, allow the Lord to begin to stir in you love, a holy love that compels you to act. Okay, so let's do that. Go ahead and stand up if you need prayer for that. Thank you. Thank you for standing. I would imagine that in a room again this big, there's probably more of you. Need prayer. You feel paralyzed if you feel like that. the Lord needs to soften your heart to engage more with the issues. Go ahead and stand up. Why don't we, um, once again, uh, go ahead and lay hands on our brothers and sisters and take time to pray for them. last thing that I want us to do is have uh, the entire congregation stand up and um, let's pray into the reality that Jesus is king and uh, let's pray into where history is going, that time, that place where all of God's people from every tribe and nation will worship the Lord together with one voice. So pray that that would be true in your life and pray that that would be true in the life around us. Does that make sense? So let's worship Jesus and let's ask him to make the reality of new creation of what's going to happen be true today. And let's let's do this all in community all at the same time.
Lord, we just worship you, Lord. God, we just say that you are on the throne, Lord. We say that, uh, Lord, nobody voted you into office, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we love that, that, that you um, extend yourself to all of humanity, Lord God, that all of us in this room are made in your image. God, we know how the story ends, Lord, and we commit to living in the reality that all of your people will worship you from every tribe and every nation, Lord. Lord, this includes the, the people uh, who are rallying, saying evil things. God, I pray that you would change hearts, Lord God. You could change hearts, Lord God. And we pray into that, Lord God. Would you uh, bring uh, men and women of faith around people uh, whose hearts are evil right now? And would you uh, allow Christians in Virginia and around that part of the country and in our neighborhoods to speak the truth, God, that you love all people and that people would come to repentance and to the knowledge of you. God, that more people would stand before your throne worshiping you for all of eternity. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we praise you, and we commit to be more like you. Thank you, Lord.